morning. I'm so thankful for the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what I want to talk about this morning. The only love that will last forever. The only love that will last forever. Is my granddaughter awake? Is she... Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you'd bring her up here if she would behave, but I don't know. If she will, then that's okay. But if not, you know. Um, this is an impromptu thing. I just thought of this this morning, but um, I, I just I, I thought this really describes a lot. If she's uh, if she's awake and Journey Rose, are you going to come up here and help Poppy this morning? You're part of an object lesson. Oh, she's smiling, so that must be good. You gonna come up here, baby? Here, come up here, sweetheart. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Arms up in the air. This is Journey. Journey, say hello. Say hello. Hello. Um, if you stop for just a moment and think about the various kinds of love that exist, it's really remarkable. And the first love that we're likely to know, and is the case with Journey and all of us when we're small, is experiencing, experiencing a parent's love. You think back as far as you can remember, the first love that you really experience is that love from a parent. The parent's love for their children and the children's love for their parents. Then you have love for, love for siblings, extended families such as aunts and uncles, and cousins, and we cannot absolutely forget about grandparents, can we? Amen. We can't forget about grandparents, can we? Yeah. Can you get a puppy kiss? We can't forget about grandparents. And then there's also a love, a love for friends. There's also a love for friends. And, and the, the love for friends is a catalyst for the close relationships between a man and a woman, which launches marriage, and then very often children, and then the cycle begins all over again. Say bye-bye. Say bye-bye. Say bye. Say, I don't want to go. Say bye-bye. You have to go back to your daddy now, okay? Can you go back to your daddy? All right. Thank you, sweetheart. Let's give it up for Journey. Yay! All right. Thank you, sweetheart. All of these loves are unique and special, but there's one love that is far greater than any of these. The love of God. The love of God is the only love that will last forever throughout eternity. John 3.16 is probably one of the best known, if not the best known verse in the Bible. It's been seen at national football games on a sign. It's been seen on bumper stickers. It's been seen in your Bible. It's been quoted. My mind automatically went back to the time back uh, 30 years ago when I taught straight arrows in Royal Rangers, five and six-year-old boys. And um, these, these uh, wow, it's been more than 30 years ago. Anyway, uh, and, and one, of the, uh, one of the things that, that I remember is we had this. Of course, back then we only had the King James Bible. But we, 
in order to teach the boys the song, the, the, the verse, I would teach them in a song. And so we would gather around a table. And I know that I know that children remember music. They remember words. They remember all kinds of stuff. But I got to tell you, even as a young man in my 20s, it has stuck in my mind. That, and I'm the one that taught the kids. And I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, it's, it's their logs forever. And I can remember these group of boys as we sat around a little table. And we made a fun game out of learning this verse. And this is what we would do. We would put our hands on the table and we would sing this song. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Aren't you proud of me that I remembered that? But you know what? Those boys, I venture to say, have never forgotten that. And when they probably read John 3.16, their mind will go back to when they were five and six, year old, and six years old and they remember learning that little song. The Word is powerful. And this Word is so powerful. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Most people who have heard any verses from the Bible have heard this one. The good news or the gospel is really encapsulated in this verse. God loved, so he gave. God so loved the world, the world and all the beauty in it. God created it. He created you and me. He created mankind. And we are God's creation and he loves each and every one of us. We've been singing about love this morning. He loved us so much that He gave. God is a giver. He gave His life. Everybody inhale and exhale. And I want you to come to a realization, if you've not already, that that breath that you have in your lungs is the breath of God. The very breath that God breathed into Adam and made Adam a living soul is the same breath that has continued unto this time. The breath of God that He created is in your lungs. The breath of life. The breath of God. Amen. Well, through the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we all have a sinful nature and we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The, that glory which had been a part of Adam and Eve's life before they sinned. That which was lost is God's desire to allow that glory that He had with Adam and Eve, His glory to be a part of their daily lives again, a part of our daily lives. The sin separates from God. And the only way that restoration and reconciliation to God is made is through a blood sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice that would wash sins completely away would be Jesus, the Son of God, who died upon a cross for our sins. So God gave His one and only Son, the King James says, begotten, which refers to his, his, the beginning of His physical life on earth, of God sending Jesus and revealing His plan of salvation. Although He did not become the Son of God, whenever He was physically born on this earth, He always was, is, and ever shall be the Son of God. John 3.16 starts with the word for which is a continuation of what was just said before. I learned in grammar school that 
uh, uh, that in grammar in elementary school that the word for is interchangeable with the word because in those instances. So we, we look at a few verses before in verse 14 in this conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And in verse 14... Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that, uh, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The, the reference that Jesus made in this conversation that he had with Nicodemus was from Numbers chapter 21. I want you to look at this story because it's absolutely relevant to this conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. Numbers 21, verse number 1. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns. So the place was named Horma. Sounds like victory, doesn't it? But we continue on in their travels. Verse number 4, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea they, to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. I want to stop there just a moment. How many know that speaking against God is not a good thing? There's a difference between questioning God, asking questions because you don't understand, and speaking against God. God had given them the very food that they eat from day to day and they were saying against God we hate what you have given to us. We detest it. They failed to see the significance that God was giving them and preserving their life in the midst of the situation that they were in. That there was no other food except that which God provided. But yet they were speaking against God. God was not happy. How many know that this is the same as rebellion? This is the same as speaking against God. Is speaking against God. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. And they bit people, and many Israelites died. Can you imagine that? Well, if you don't like the manna, let me send you some snakes. See how you like that. The people came to Moses. Because, here's why. Because sin separates people from God. There was now a division between God and His people because they sinned against God. And they invited judgment. The people came to Moses and said, We sin. Oh, really? 
Well, that's that's a hunk of logic right there. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord again and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So when things started to get bad, when they started to experience the disfavor of the Lord, they began to seek God. How many times is it when the people of God sometimes are discontent in situations and they don't understand and they start speaking against God. God, I'm just going to blame you. And then things start really going sour and they're like, oh God, I'm sorry. Really, really take me back. Do something better. I just hate this. That was much better than this. It's a lesson to be learned. How many people know that there's a penalty for sin? There's absolutely... Always, 100% of the time, there's a penalty for sin. God's judgment came quickly to them and it will inevitably come to all who have sinned, which is every one of us. In verse number 8, the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked to the bronze snake, they lived. The snakes were not only biting them, but they were dying. What was really happening is that their sin was killing them. Sin is a killer. Sin will destroy your life and it will have eternal consequences. The solution in this story was that the people who had sinned against God would look upon the bronze snake and only then would they live. The snake is a symbol of sin just like the devil is a form of a snake. and a Just like when he deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The only love that will last forever is the love of God, which is why Jesus went to the cross. There is a penalty for sin 100% of the time, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when those people looked at the snake, they were looking at the sin. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, the scripture tells us, became sin. So there you have sin that was nailed to the cross. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he became our sin, taking on the sins of the world so that we can look to the cross and we could live and not die from sin's penalty and remove the possibility from being judged from for those sins and, and we could then be forgiven. Amen. Titus 3 verse number 5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. How many know that we can't be righteous? We can't be good enough to be accepted by God. And we weren't saved because of anything that we have done, we have done, but because of His mercy. What is mercy? I'm glad you asked. Mercy is love and compassion shown to someone who has offended you, who doesn't deserve it, but you're going to give it to them anyway. We never deserve grace and mercy, but God gave it to us anyway. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is our Savior, church. 
so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The only love that will last forever guarantees us to have eternal life, which, is, which means hope beyond this life. There may be a lot of reasons not to hope in this life because of there may be no evidentiary hope that we can set our senses on in natural situations, but we have an eternal hope past anything that we can see here on this earth because our hope is within Jesus Christ. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes... Everybody say, whoever. whoever. Oh, that was weak. Whoever, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. How many, how many would be glad to be not condemned? I don't want to be condemned. I was thinking about this. You know, uh, the word condemned... Sometimes you look at a structure and they say, there was one here recently that they had to tear down because they had to condemn it and tear it down because it just, it was over 100 years old and it was just, part of it had collapsed because the structure was not stable. It had been condemned. When the officials condemn a building, that means they, they, make, they, they say that it's not safe to be in there and it could fall at any moment. It could just be dangerous and it could hurt somebody at any moment. And it means that that building is good for nothing else except to be torn down. Can I tell you that that's what the enemy of your soul does? He condemns you and says, you're not good for anything else. So you might as well just stay in the state that you're in because you'll never be worth anything. You'll never be used in any way. You'll never be valuable to anyone else. But whoever believes in Him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. So whatever lies that the enemy has fed to you, you are not worthless. You are not valueless. You have worth and you are not condemned as long as you believe on Jesus Christ. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So there's two choices. There's no in-between. Either you're condemned or you're not condemned. You're not condemned and you are blood-bought, washed with the blood of Jesus Christ and stand justified, righteous before God through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus. Or you are condemned through the lies of the enemy and failure to believe in the name of God's one and only Son. If you take a survey of prisoners on death row, I believe that most of those condemned to die would tell of regret and the desire to change their past. For them, death is certain and they live each day until the day of judgment comes. And when that day arrives, they will pay a penalty for their offense. In a spiritual context, those who believe in Christ will not be condemned because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our offenses, our sin against God. Hallelujah! I am so thankful that my sin has been washed away, never to be remembered against me again as far as the east is from the west. And when I stand before Him, He doesn't see sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ because I am no longer condemned, but I am righteous through 
through Jesus Christ. And you are as well when you have trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. Those who will not believe in Jesus stand condemned because they refuse to believe. By not accepting the freedom provided by Jesus, those, those condemned are destined to pay the penalty on the day of judgment. Just like those on death row, but instead it will be an eternal death and it will be an eternity without God. Some people believe that, well, nothing bad has, happened, bad has happened to me yet and I'm sinning and not living for God. They equate delayed judgment with, I guess, contentment and being okay where they are. But they're not okay where they are because the, the word of God says that God is not slow in keeping his promises as other men count slowness. But he is long suffering so that many will come to repentance. He is waiting and he is giving time for people to come. But we never know exactly how much time that we, we have. I was in a church service many years ago and a message in tongues and interpretation went out. And basically, the message was, you need to stop playing around and get right with God because there's going to come a time when He's no longer going to deal with you. That was pretty pointed. And there was a young man that came up for prayer. And he said, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to be living. This, this, this guy was attending the church on a regular basis. said, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to be living. And I don't want God to stop dealing with me because I, I want to make things right. And there is a time and there is a place when if you say no too many times, the Holy Spirit just says, no more. No more. It's like saying, I've prepared your heart and I've prepared you for this relationship. And you say, I don't want to go. And he keeps after you and keeps after you patiently and you know. And then one day, he no longer calls because your refusal to answer. Now's the time. The only way to get out of paying the penalty is to accept Jesus because God's love for you is the only one that will last forever. The world advertises what they call love. But it's not really. Anything that's called love that is not sanctioned by the Word of God is not love. It is not love. The unconditional love which means that regardless of what you have done, I will love you. And here's one that's even further. You see, the, the scriptures tell us, and I've used this scripture in many weddings, that love does not keep a record of wrongs. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love does not keep a record of wrongs. There's a lot of people that keep a record of wrongs. They file it away somewhere and then when somebody messes up again, they pull it out of the file and say, well, remember when you did this? 
But Jesus says, there's no record of wrongs. God doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. He washes them away never to be remembered against you again. Because His love is unconditional. Even if you mess up today, you're living and walking for God and you, you make a mistake or you sin or you do something you shouldn't have done, you run back to Jesus, not away from Him and say, God, I need your help. And He is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, the Word tells us. In John 3.19, it goes on to say, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who hates evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. By our own sinful human nature, we gravitate toward the darkness of sin. This is where the devil, the enemy of our soul, will continue to pull us. And he does this all the days of your life. If he can get you to do something wrong, if he can get you, and whatever weakness it is for you, maybe it's your temper, maybe it's your uh, something that you do that is a, a habit that's not healthy or not good, and, and you, 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 you're, you're proud of yourself because you've, 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 walked in such a way where you've not made a mistake in that area then something happens and then you just lose it one day and you're thinking I wish I hadn't done that the pull toward that is what the enemy's good at this is where the devil the enemy of our soul continues to pull us as long as people remain in darkness and they avoid the light because they don't want their sin to be exposed. But when we start walking with the Lord, we realize that there's a little bit of darkness that's come. And it's like, no, we don't want to get any more in the darkness. We want to come back to the light because the devil's saying, oh, come over here to the dark. It's okay. But there are people that see the light of Christ and they're drawn to the light of Christ. And the enemy does everything he can to pull and keep them and hold on to them. It's like they see the light and they're drawn to the light of Christ because the Holy Spirit draws people. And that's where the church comes in. That's where we come in encouraging people to listen to the Word of God, to hang out with godly people. That's why we have opportunities for us to be able to do that. And we want to do that. It means changing the influences in our lives. So that we're not influenced by those dark things and those, those activities and behaviors that once pulled us into sin. We don't want to do that because all sin will be exposed by the light of Jesus Christ. Some people will think, well, you know, no, I look like I've got it together, but nobody really knows what goes on in my life in private. Can I tell you a little secret? That there aren't any secrets. That all sin will be exposed in the light of Christ. Either now or on the day of judgment. It's a plain fact. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. More light is better. Now I don't know. Some of you don't need these 
I've worn glasses since I was 14 years old and I've worn contacts since I was 16 years old. For so many decades, I've worn contact lenses. But probably about 10 years ago, I stopped being able to read stuff close up. <laughs> and uh, I went to the eye doctor and he let me know that people about your age <laughs> usually experience this and it's normal. I wasn't happy with that answer. <laughs> but I have found some contact lenses that are helpful. But I can tell you this, you know, I put this little lamp back here because the lamp puts more light on the music. And um, before I found some contacts that would work, I was looking through some of my old notes, so I went through a period of time where my contacts just weren't doing it, and I was too vain to have to stand up here before you and do this. I didn't really want to do that because it's just distracting to me because I could see without them here. If I have these on out here, then you guys are blurry. But <clears throat> I, I found some notes, and I, print, I printed them off in like a 22 font. <laughs> which is about like what you see on the screen. <clears throat> and so my five pages of notes would become nine pages, something like that. And uh, I print off now in a 14 font and I can, I can read it. But if you dim these lights, I'm going to have to pull these out and I'm going to have to see. So more light is better and brings things more in focus. Can I tell you that Jesus is the light of the world and when you allow Him access into your life, that you will have more focus and more clarity than you've ever had before. Amen. Yes. John 3.21 Oh, excuse me. Let me back up. Uh, John 8.12 I skipped the page. I skipped a little bit here. John 8.12 when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world because God has provided the only love that will last forever through him. If you don't have, you don't have to live in the darkness, despair, or hopelessness of sin. That is a trick of the devil. He's going to make you think that things are hopeless, but they're not. He wants you to think that your sin is so awful and so bad and, that, and, and, and wants you to be too embarrassed to even approach God or confess your sins to Him. But you don't have to be that way. The light of Jesus annihilates the darkness of sin and its hold on you. You have hope and purpose through the light of Jesus Christ. And that sin and its bondage on your life is destroyed. The power of that sin is destroyed through the light of Jesus Christ. John 3.21, it goes on to say, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. There is one truth. When you live by Jesus, you come into His light so that it may be seen plainly what they have, what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. Which means that it's, it's the old scripture from uh, Psalm 119, 105 that the, that the Word of God is a light and a lamp. Jesus is the Word of God and the Word of God 
living, the Word of God uh, alive, as, as John 1 tells us, but He lights up our path. So when you have the light of Jesus Christ, He lights up your path. You can see plainly where you're going, where you've been, and all around you. And you can see when darkness comes. It's funny to see Journey because she doesn't like to go into dark, into dark rooms. And that's totally normal. I mean, who does? I mean, if you say, you know, uh, which room would you go into? The one that's lit or the one that's dark? Well, if you didn't know where the switch is. Some of you remember our old church. And uh, if you didn't know that place very well, you could really hurt your shin or hurt your knee. Because there were the, the, the light switches there were actually in the sound booth. And so unless you knew where the light switch was, you could go in there. And it, it was pitch dark. There were no windows in that sanctuary. There were, I mean, little bitty windows in the doors that went to the foyer, but it was, it was just amazing. And so once you learn where things are, but you go in there and it's like completely dark. So you don't go to explore the room. You go to where the light is so that you can turn it on. So many times you, you've got darkness. Go to the light. When there's darkness that may be encroaching on you and you can sense that the enemy's just closing in, don't launch into that. Get to the light and then the darkness moves further away. Because when the light comes on, the darkness can't stay. It's amazing. Jesus is not only the light, but He is the truth and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we choose Jesus, only then will we walk in the light of God's love, the only love that will last forever. Maybe you feel unloved or, or that no one cares. I'm going to switch microphones here just a second. Maybe you feel like that no one cares. And you feel unloved. Can I tell you that God cares for you? And He loves you more than anyone else ever. Anyone else in the world. Before you were born, He established His plans for you. And He calls you to come to His one and only Son, Jesus. Will you accept and receive His love right now? You see, you can still have a relationship with Jesus Christ and still have these feelings of inferiority and anxiety and, and oppressive darkness to visit you. But it doesn't mean that you've lost out in your relationship with Jesus. What it means is that you just need more light. You need, a, you need a, the, a brighter light. And how do you get a brighter light? How do you get a brighter light? A brighter light comes when you get closer to the source of the light. The closer you get to the light, the brighter it is. Yeah. And then you realize when you're real close to the light, I don't even see the darkness anymore. What I see is the light. You need that today. The only love that will last forever. 
Let his love wash through you this morning. Would you pray? Father, we come to you right now and we thank you because you are holy and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. We thank you that he never remembers our sins against us again. Lord, of those that are tuned in online today need to make a commitment to you, Jesus, we ask that they will. If we are not in a relationship with you or we've grown cold and indifferent in our hearts and souls, we just need to surrender to you and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I accept you as Lord and Savior in my life and I want to live for you. I want to be close to you so that the darkness is gone because I want to realize your love on a consistent basis in my life. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. I surrender to you right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.